Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. China's Coronavac CNN goes inside Beijing's vaccine research labs. Upping the ante, Jack Ma's payments giant files to go public at goodnight fortnight. Epic's ongoing battle with Apple leaves the game restricted. It's Tuesday. Let's make a move. Welcome to First Move. Once again, fantastic to be with you as always. Now, today's show might be a bit of a heavy lift and not because I'm already stumbling over my words. No, indeed, the executive chairman of fitness company Equinox will be here to talk about the safety of your COVID workout and the future of fitness. What does that look like? Well, we'll be discussing no stamina shortage, meanwhile, for global stocks. Wall Street feeling the burn boosted by news of the US-China trade talks overnight, the phase one deal remains secure for now. It seems plus optimism over the timing of a COVID vaccine as the research race continues all over the world. The S&P 500 set to rise to fresh records once again. The Dow begins today's session above 28,000 for the first time since February, just 4%, in fact, from a record high. If and when that vaccine emerges, travel stocks like airlines, of course, going to be among the first to benefit The Dow Transports outperformed all the major averages on Monday. Look at that bounce back since March 2. EasyJet, Ryanair and AIG are all higher in Europe. Cathay Pacific rallied more than 6% in the Hong Kong session. Now, speaking of Hong Kong, a whopper of a listing in the pipeline. Jack Ma's payments giant, as I mentioned, Ant Group has filed to go public in a dual Hong Kong-Shanghai listing. It's expected to raise some $30 billion as soon as October. And this, of course, comes as China looks to raise the profile of its own stock markets, but also those domestic tech firms, not a foreign listing mentioned. We will discuss that coming up shortly. But for now, let's get to the drivers and an update on the global search for a coronavirus vaccine. A top scientist at Oxford University says trial data on its potential vaccine could be ready to go to regulators by the end of this year. The university is developing the vaccine with AstraZeneca. The vaccine produced an immune response in its first human trials. Right. Meanwhile, and also a look at what's going on in China as well, because more than a dozen companies are now racing to develop a COVID-19 vaccine. David Culver got access to a lab where they are in late stage trials and he joins us now live from Beijing. Always fantastic to have you with us, David. What did you discover? Hey there, Julia. Good to be with you as well. This company is called Sinovac and it's in phase three human trials. In fact, they've got two underway right now, rather large ones at that. They're in Brazil and Indonesia, a combined 13,000 people expected to participate in these trials. Now, all of this comes, as we've seen from China, 
a rolling out of vaccines over the past two months. This according to the central government. They say they first back in June have tried it out and vaccinated several members of the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, the military here. And they say as of July, they've gone to vaccinate frontline workers, medical staff, and people who work at Borders and Customs, as well as those who are in so-called high-risk professions. Now, with this company that we were able to walk through today, they are looking more towards the general public and, they say, the rest of the world. You feel hopeful just looking at the packaging and small vials. Might this vaccine bring us back to our lives before coronavirus? The Chinese company behind it believes it might. Sinovac's goal is to provide a vaccine with good quality, good safety, good immunogenicity to, to the people in the, in the world. Sinovac is among 13 companies in China working on a COVID-19 vaccine. It is one of just nine that are well into clinical trials. The biotech company began developing its vaccine in late January. Construction on this, their newest facility in Beijing, started about two months later. One of the things we noticed walking in here is that this space is brand new. It's not even been used. They started building it in March, and they did that for two reasons. One, for regulatory reasons here in China. They need a separate space to produce this vaccine. And the other is because of the demand. They need the production space to meet it. While its borders remain largely sealed off, life within China has returned to near normal in most places. So much so that Wuhan has hosted crowded pool parties. And in Beijing, no longer are you required to wear a face mask when outside, assuming you're a safe distance from others. China credits mass testing and strict contact tracing. But health experts warn those stringent measures impact immunity levels. In these places, then definitely uh, the, the way forward is to is, is vaccination. In the past two months, the Chinese government has granted two vaccine companies special emergency approval to launch their vaccines. Typically, a vaccine takes years to go through trials and reach production. Do you feel confident enough to take the vaccine? Yeah, um, I, I do, because the vaccine roadmap we are using is a, a demonstrated and proved technology. They estimate they will be able to produce about 300 million vaccines a year. And that's why they believe the more vaccines in the marketplace, the better. Yeah, I think the competition is more like uh, we compete with the virus, right? Our speed should be faster than the transmitting of the virus instead of competing with others. We like everyone could be successful. China has faced sharp criticism from many countries, most notably the U.S., for its initial handling of the outbreak. But some nations might be willing to look past all of that if China can deliver the solution with a dose of hope. Touring through that facility, it is a rather strange juxtaposition. You've got a construction site and a high-tech lab all in one. I mean, you've got people in lab coats walking by folks in hard hats, and it's a little bit uneasy in thinking about that because it shows just how quickly they've moved forward with not only trying to construct the infrastructure, but also to produce this vaccine and to make sure that it will actually work. And Julia, the question I've been getting as I've been working on this assignment today, on social media in particular, folks messaging me on Instagram saying, look, can we trust it? Can we actually believe that this would work? And I think the, the reality is if they are, in fact, Chinese uh, military officials testing on their own members and if they are putting this out there to international communities, I mean, the anti-China sentiment right now is so high given the initial outbreak that anything less than effective for this vaccine and even worse, if it's damaging, 
is going to really cause a global backlash. So they're, they're aware of that. The beauty of a command economy, David, is that China works quickly, whatever it's going to do. But I think you raise a great question about trust, and it's not just a question for the Chinese. It's a trust question everywhere in the world when we're operating at this speed and with this kind of science. Great to have you with us. Thank you, David Culver there. And more reasons for why the vaccine research is so critical. Two European patients, one in Belgium and the other in the Netherlands, have been infected with COVID-19 twice This comes as researchers in Hong Kong say they've also identified a patient that caught the virus a second time between four and five months after his first bout. Christy Lustout has all the details. Julia, researchers here in Hong Kong say that they have the first lab-tested evidence of someone being reinfected with the virus that causes COVID-19. According to a team of researchers at the University of Hong Kong, a 33-year-old Hong Kong man became reinfected four and a half months after contracting the virus. He first became sick in March in Hong Kong, and then on August 15th, he tested positive again in Hong Kong after returning from Spain via the UK with a completely different strain of the virus. And while he was infected the second time around, he did not show any symptoms. Up to now, there have been several reports of presumed reinfections, but this reinfection was confirmed in a lab using genomic sequencing. Earlier, I spoke to Professor Ivan Hung of the University of Hong Kong about his finding. Well, I think the most important message is that uh, even though you have recovered from a natural infection, it doesn't mean that you are immunized for life uh, for that virus. Uh, and also that you can see that this virus is, is very smart because it keeps on mutating. So that means that uh, even though you have recovered from a natural infection, you still need your vaccination uh, and you still need to, to wear masks uh, and keep your social distancing. According to Professor Hung, any potential vaccine may not be enough to provide lifelong immunity. An annual vaccine would be needed. Julia. Therein lies the key. All right, let's move on. The man behind Alibaba wants to again say open sesame in the world of financial services. Jack Ma's Ant Group has filed for an IPO that would list its shares in Hong Kong and Shanghai. Reports say the share sale could raise a whopping $30 billion. Selena Wang joins us now from Hong Kong. Selena, always great to have you with us. Never been a more potent time, I think, for a financial services, a payment company to list on a stock exchange. But the location, a.k.a. not the United States, also important here too, I think. What more do we know? Julia, this is going to be a blockbuster initial public offering. I was just furiously skimming through the more than 600 page preliminary prospectus. Massive parts of it are redacted. So there are a lot of key details we still don't know in terms of the timetable for this IPO, as well as the size. But sources have told the Financial Times that Ant Group could be raising around $30 billion, valuing it at $200 billion. That would make it the world's largest IPO, surpassing Saudi Aramco's listing last year. It would also make it more valuable than some of America's largest banks. You reference the fact that it's doing a dual listing in Asia. This would be the first simultaneous listing of a company on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange as well as Shanghai's Nasdaq-style star market. That is a massive win for both of those venues at a time of rising U.S. tensions and increasing calls from the Trump administration for financial decoupling between the U.S. and China. I also want to point out that this is a majorly important company in China. It is the 
fintech arm of e-commerce giant Alibaba. It is the dominant mobile payments firm in China, but it is much more than that. It's also critical for online banking. It offers wealth management, also insurance. And I want to quickly run you through some of the numbers in that prospectus as well. Revenue for the first half of the year was $10.5 billion, up 40% from a year earlier. Its payment volumes were worth around $17 trillion last year. App-based payments, Julia, in China are far more ubiquitous than they are in the West. And that is partially because credit cards had pretty low, relatively low penetration in China at the time when internet services were really taking off in China. That gave an important window for app-based payments to take off. And I just want to drive home this point, Julia, and leave our viewers with this. Along with Tencent's WeChat, Ant Group's Alipay are some of the most critical apps in China for daily life and for it's more than 1 billion users that Alipay reaches. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Credit cards are so 19th, 20th century uh, technology. It's all about digital payments. There are things we can learn from them and they should do it fast. Selena Wang, great job. Thank you so much for that. China was also a key theme on the first night of the Republican National Convention with Donald Trump Jr. even coining the nickname Beijing Biden. It was just one of the ways the party tried to highlight what it says would be at stake should President Trump not get re-elected. Jeff Zeleny has all the details. President Trump kicked off the Republican National Convention with a dark outlook of how he sees the United States without him in charge. I really believe this. This is the most important election in the history of our country. Don't let them take it away from you. And that theme continued throughout the opening night. With Monday's list of speakers also warning of a Joe Biden presidency they described as radical. Among them, the St. Louis couple who waved guns at protesters outside their home earlier this summer. They want to abolish the suburbs altogether. So make no mistake, no matter where you live, your family will not be safe in the radical Democrats' America. Kimberly Goofoyle, a top campaign fundraiser and former Fox News host, amplified the unproven charge that Democrats intended to abolish the suburbs. They want to steal your liberty, your freedom. They want to control what you see and think and believe so that they can control how you live. Her words echoed by the president's own son, Donald Trump Jr. It's almost like this election is shaping up to be church, work and school versus rioting, looting, and vandalism. Or, in the words of Biden and the Democrats, peaceful protesting. As the coronavirus death toll in the U.S. continues to climb, the convention portrayed Trump's handling of the crisis as a success. One leader took decisive action to save lives, President Donald Trump. And showing this video of the president with frontline workers at the White House. We just have to make this China virus go away, and it's happening. But there was no explanation how the United States leads the world in total coronavirus cases and deaths, or Trump's repeated downplaying of the crisis from the start. The first night also featured two prominent Republicans of color, focusing on the national outlook instead of the president's record on race. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley saying the issue is personal. In much of the Democratic Party, it's now fashionable to say that America is racist. That is a lie. America is not a racist country. We are blessed to live in America. 
It's time to keep that blessing alive for the next generation. This president and this party are committed to that noble task. And closing the night, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. This election is about your future, and it is critical to paint a full picture of the records of Donald Trump and Joe Biden. The only black Republican U.S. senator described how he believes the Democrats could permanently transform what it means to be an American. Make no mistake, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want a cultural revolution, a fundamentally different America. If we let them, they will turn our country into a socialist utopia. Instead, we must focus on the promise of the American journey. Jeff Zeleny reporting there. And the theme for night two will be the land of opportunity. And in a major break with tradition, the U.S. Secretary of State will address the Republican National Convention from abroad in Jerusalem. All right, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. Wildfires in California have now killed at least seven people. Fire officials say this year's fire season is significantly worse than 2019, with thousands more fires spread over a far greater expanse of land. Dan Simon is in Napa County, California, and he joins us now. Dan, great to have you with us. What more can you tell us about efforts to get some of these fires under control? Well, hi, Julia. Well, first of all, we are in California's wine country, and this is a neighborhood, and it has been totally obliterated. You can see uh, some of these homes behind me. Uh, The good news is over the past 24 hours or so, fire crews were able to take advantage of better than expected weather and get the containment number up for this particular fire. It's now up to 25% containment. Uh, Keep in mind though, they still have a ways to go and you have so many fires burning throughout the state, two dozen major fires and it was all started by lightning. You had I mean, the numbers are just staggering. You had 12,000 lightning strikes, and it created some 600 or so fires. And then, it, again, you got about two dozen of them that are considered major. Now, you have tens of thousands of people, Julia, who are evacuated from their homes. And, and these folks, they really have no idea when they'll be able to come back to their homes or, or what the neighborhoods are going to look like. Over the next few days, it's going to be critical in terms of trying to take advantage of, of the better than expected weather. So hopefully crews will continue to make some progress. And also, Julia, keep in mind, this is all happening during the middle of the pandemic. You have a, a few thousand folks who are, who are staying in evacuation shelters, and they're taking a, a risk by going into those shelters. You know, there was a chance that they could contract the virus. Of course, the, the American Red Cross is doing what they can, trying to enforce social distancing, telling people to wear masks, doing COVID-19 screening, but uh, we did speak to some folks who who are certainly nervous about going to those shelters. Julia? Yeah, it's just a monumental challenge and some devastating scenes behind you there. We wish everybody well, Dan. Thank you for the update and for being there. Dan Simon in Napa County, California there. All right, we're back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move, live from New York, where the S&P 500 set to hit fresh record highs in early trading. Today's pre-market advance, I think, driven by positive news on the U.S.-China trade front. Both sides say a phase one trade deal remains on track. At least some bits of that relationship appear to be working properly. And that, of course, a relief to investors. We've also got positive vaccine news helping sentiment. You take it when you can. The A-team was out in force once again on Monday. Apple now up more than 71% so far this year, with a market cap of more than $2.1 trillion. 
All this ahead of its four-for-one stock split on Friday, an event so big they're having to change the makeup of the Dow. Dan Ives joins us now. He's Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities. Dan, great to have you with us. Let's talk Apple now because there was also good news yesterday, it seems, or at least a sentiment shift, the belief that the administration here in the U.S., saying to U.S. companies, don't worry, even if there's a challenge with things like WeChat, you guys won't be impacted. It's critical for Apple. Yeah, and that's been our stance really since this came out, is that there was never going to be any issue in terms of disruption in China for Apple, which is the key. That's 20% of iPhones worldwide, and it continues to be one. If you look at the last year and a half, and obviously me and you have talked about it a lot, Despite the back against the wall, U.S.-China trade, pandemic, smartphone sales slowing, Cook and Cupertino, Teflon-like model, and I think China is going to be key in terms of this growth story going forward. So you're simply not expecting any kind of disruption at all or any blowback from the Chinese side because there's, there's many different angles here. There's not only the steps that the U.S. administration take, but there's also a potential retaliation too. And in terms of retaliation, remember, Apple is one of the most strategic employers in China. And it speaks to our our thesis really over the last years that if you go back, many of the haters, the skeptics, thought they'd be burning iPhones in the street. Instead, they were going into Apple stores and buying the phone. So I think it just comes down to China's been strong for Apple. And if you look, you got 60 to 70 million iPhones in a window of an upgrade opportunity. And part of our 600-hour bull thesis on Apple, and I think this is a name that on this trajectory could even be a $3 trillion mark cap by 2023. China is a linchpin to the story. We continue to be buyers in any type of headline risk that we see even over the coming weeks and months. I mean, you've mentioned it. For you, China is such a critical part of the upgrade story here. But you also say that the iPhone 12 is going to be a defining moment in the same way that what we go back to 2014 and the the launch of what the iPhone 6 was such a pivotal moment for Apple at that moment. Why? And and what does your um, what does your chat with the supply chain tell you about potential demand as well? Because this is critical also. Yeah, it is critical. And even over the last few weeks, all of our Asia checks, it's showing an uptick in demand, not a downtick in terms of going to iPhone 12. The reason we call it a super cycle, 350 million of 950 million iPhones worldwide are in a window of an upgrade opportunity. That means they have not upgraded their phone in three and a half years. You combine that with 5G, that's really a perfect storm of demand for Apple, which is why combined with the re-rating that's happening here, not just across tech stocks, but especially in Apple, you know, I, I, to me, momentum continues to be there despite the skeptics. And there will be people going, yeah, 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 but it's all in the price, Dan. You're saying actually the, the market's underestimating the potency of this. They said the same thing at 300 hours, 400 hours. <laughs> And now, no, so I'm just saying, Julie, it's far as to the trees. I I look at is the services business seven to 750 billion. That's the valuation. I believe the core hardware business worth one and a half trillion. Then you look at AirPods, that's going to be a $30 billion annual revenue stream today. And that's why I believe it's a re rating that's happening, you know, in Apple, very similar as Amazon, other names. And based on the momentum, you, you could, of course, have sell offs here. But I believe a year from now, stock has a six in front of it. 
Well, forest for trees, they're definitely apple trees in that case. I want to move on and talk about Tesla because this is still getting lots of uh, dedicated column inches for the bulls and the bears. Your bear case and your bull case now, you're a raging bull. $3,500? Wowzers. Look, it's, it goes back to part of why it's the most emotional bull bear story I've <laughs> seen in 20 plus years covering tech. It's because is this an auto company or is it a disruptive technology company? I believe it's the latter. I look at China, you know, going back to you talk about Apple, China, I think it's worth $400 a share. And this goes into the demand they're seeing, I think 500K deliveries. And you look at battery day next month, that's the drum roll, million mile battery, I think, announced. And it comes down to this right now in the EV market, it's Tesla's world and everyone else is paying rent. A million mile battery, Dan. How long till we get to that point? Well, I think that's something that September 22nd, they unveil in terms of the trajectory to get there. If you look today, an average battery is about 500K for Tesla. So that would really be about double. It's key about price parity. You know, when you talk about EV versus traditional gasoline fueled cars, and I think it just shows in the EV market a lot of competition, of course, not just domestically, but in China and Europe and across the board. But it all comes down to the battery technology and the brand. That's what Musk and Fremont have built. And that's why in terms of the stock, this continues to move higher. Obviously, a stock split, which I think will put you know ultimately more momentum. It comes down to then this could be $35 of earnings power when you look at 2025. Profitability key and, of course, getting to S&P 500. We shall revisit this, my friend. I know we shall. But for now, your bull case, $3,500 for Tesla. It's fascinating. Dan, always great to chat to you. Thank you so much, Dan Isaac of Wedbush Securities. All right, still ahead, working out when things are not working out. We speak to the head of luxury fitness group Equinox about the ways COVID-19 has changed the way they operate. And what does the future look like? Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running this Tuesday, and we've got mostly higher open with economically sensitive stocks gaining ground once again. What do I mean? Well, these are the stocks like airlines and cruise operators that will benefit most when and if we get a vaccine. Technology, meanwhile, taking a bit of a breather, but it is up over 3 percent through the past week and more than 33 percent year to date. So a bit of a breather is more than certainly allowed Treasury yields, meanwhile, moving solidly higher today, perhaps a sign, too, that bond investors see some firmer growth ahead, too. That R for recovery word. In the meantime, uh, big changes are coming to the Dow Jones Industrials. Salesforce, Amgen and Honeywell will be added to the Dow average next week. They will replace ExxonMobil, Pfizer and Raytheon. Exxon has been uh, Exxon, sorry, has been in the Dow since 1928 and was once the world's most valuable company. Wow, how things change. It's all a result of Apple's upcoming stock split, which reduces its weighting in the index. All right, taking a look at the early trading in these stocks, we're seeing gains for all of those coming in and losses for the names that will exit the Dow on Monday, as you would expect. Now, we could talk about uh, markets all day long, but if this year's COVID crisis has taught us anything, actually, it's that the greatest wealth we actually have is our health. 
And this year, fitness firms have suffered for many reasons. Gyms have been closed and a lot of people say they simply don't want to go back, especially if they've found ways to work out at home or outdoors. So what does this mean for the sector? Well, Harvey Spivak is the executive chairman and managing partner of Equinox Holdings, which is at the top end of the fitness market. And he joins us now. Harvey, fantastic to have you with us. Incredibly challenging time for the owners of gyms throughout this sector, I think, dealing with COVID and trying to keep customers safe. Talk to me about what you're doing around the world to, to keep your customers safe. So, Julia, th- thanks for having me. And, and you, you, you mentioned it in your opening comments and you hit the nail on the head, which is health had already been the new wealth and it's accelerated during the pandemic. People want to live a healthy lifestyle more than ever before. And you're seeing that manifest itself in many ways um, whether you're seeing it digitally or whether you're seeing it physically. Um, we, we have opened about a third of our portfolio. Um, our biggest um, portfolio of Equinox Clubs is in uh, New York City. We're opening those on September 2nd. Um, and the response generally has been extremely positive, particularly on um, our safety and uh, comprehensive plan to keeping our, our employees and our members um, safe and protect their well-being. And so we, we worked um, tirelessly back in April and May with our team of infectious disease doctors, um, some of them CDC external consultants, and we worked round the clock to come up with what is a comprehensive plan to take our high standards to another level. If you ask our members how they feel about, 96% say they're satisfied or very satisfied with our approach. They already expected a lot from us and we've taken to another level. So those who have come back are very, very satisfied. And what we're seeing is every day it gets a little bit better there's certainly still a fear factor out there, but we think over time that will diminish. You mentioned the vaccination. Once the vaccination is placed, I think that there'll be big winners, including um, Equinox and our portfolio of brands as we get on the other side of all of this. Harvey, we're showing images now of um, equipment in gyms being sprayed. I know you've put in place a number of different steps, um, air purifying filters, the disinfection uh, procedures, health declarations, you name it. You're also restricting, I believe, the number of people that can come into the gyms. What kind of capacity compared to what we would have seen before are going to be allowed at any given time in the gym? I don't think it's so much that we're restricting. Is What we're requiring is our members to protect them and protect our employees to schedule in advance when they want to come. And what we have found is we've been able to satisfy as frequently as they want to come or whatever times they want to come, we've been able to satisfy it because people have different behaviors and some of those behaviors have changed during the pandemic. So we haven't seen it be an issue. And actually our members and certainly our employees are very appreciative that they can schedule in advance through our app that we're taking the extra precaution of a health declaration, that we're taking air filtration to another level. We've introduced hyper HEPA filters, excuse me, in our studios to really protect our employees and our members. And what that means statistically is since we started reopening in the United States back in May, and now we're open around the world in London and Canada, but since we started opening back in May, we've had approximately a half million visits. And the number of uh, people that have been affected by COVID, not necessarily by Equinox or by coming in Equinox, but just in general, has been 0.0017%. We believe that is reflective of living a healthy lifestyle, boost your immune system, but we also believe it's reflective of the precautions that we're taking to protect our employees and our community. And Harvey, I mean, that statistic is, um, is pretty eye-opening, but just give us a sense, what proportion of customers that you had pre-COVID have either postponed their membership 
and that the, the gym's now open or have cancelled their membership. Can you give us some statistics? Sure. So approximately 60% come back when we first reopen. The vast majority of them uh, remain on freeze. Um, and during that freeze period, we keep them engaged through our virtual offering, um, which we call Varus by Equinox, which offers stream classes of some of their favorite instructors and their favorite instruct and, and their favorite modalities. Um, and so that has been extremely well received. But they stay on freeze. And when we survey them, you know, close to 90 percent, 80 plus percent will say that they are likely to come back when they feel comfortable. Now, that could be when there's a hmm. vaccination or specific to the local market. So it does also vary by market. I mean, if you look at New York City, where the, the governor announced yesterday, the infection rate is extremely low, lower, lower than any major city in the United States. You know, that might be higher in other markets like a Texas or Florida it might be a little bit different. Um, but, but we are seeing that our members do love who we are and uh, they do want to come back when they are most comfortable coming back. There's definitely been a relocation issue as well. I mean, it's been well documented. There is a little bit of movement outside the cities. I think that will come back once vaccination is in place. But that that is happening as well. I'll point out one other thing in terms of how excited our members are and our, our, and our writers are at SoulCycle when they come back. We've had we do outdoor activations at SoulCycle. And we've had riders literally cry after their first ride because they missed it so much. They missed the, the community experience. They missed being with their like-minded individuals and their besties. And so, you know, we, we, we've got a lot of work to do, but we're, we're optimistic that on the other side of the pandemic, you know, most people are going to come back. I think in my case, I'd be crying because I'm so unfit, quite frankly. But um, we'll get back to that. I, I do like the point that you made about the perhaps the future of fitness being a combination of these two things, whether you're outside the gym, but you're just connected digitally versus um, actually being present in the gym and being really grateful and excited to be back. The key question for me, Harvey, is based on what we're seeing so far, and I know it's it's a temporary normal, we hope. Can you be profitable, particularly given the dominance of branches in New York City, which clearly we haven't seen what the reaction is going to be yet. Are you profitable based on what you're seeing at this moment? So, so the simple answer is we can be profitable and we will be profitable. We were very profitable before the pandemic. Unfortunately, we're in some of the hardest hit categories like, you know, you, you mentioned airlines, but FMB and hospitality. We have our first Equinox Hotel, which is closed, but it's reopening on September 2nd. And so being closed and, and doing right by our members and our community, not charging during that closure, certainly obviously leads to, to, to losses. Um, and we're still coming out of that phase. But I, I, we, we do believe very strongly that once we get our business operating fully again and people start coming back, we will be profitable again. It will take time to rebuild, um, but we, we will rebuild. And I think on the other side, I think we're going to have some of our best years. And we shall see. Harvey, come back and speak to us soon. Let us know how uh, New York City is going, because this is going to be uh, fascinating to see, um, particularly for people here, how we get back to uh, get back in action. Harvey Spivak, Sounds great good. to chat to you. And you should, you should come work out with them. <laughs> I, I will. Full confession, I am a member. Um, oh, great. We shall see, is my response. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Great Thank to have you. you with us. Yes. Now, a vote of confidence by a mainstream bank in blockchain technology. JP Morgan teaming up with Consensus, a developer of Ethereum-based solutions to some pretty old-school problems. A big deal in this space today. Details next.
Welcome back to First Move. Digital assets and blockchain technology taking another step towards the mainstream in a further blending of what I see as institutional finance with 21st century technology consensus buying JP Morgan's Ethereum-based blockchain unit Quorum. Now, as part of the deal, JP Morgan will also invest an undisclosed sum in Consensus. It's a company that develops software based on the Ethereum blockchain. Real life examples of what Consensus has worked on include facilitating faster payment technology and improving supply chains. Joe Lubin is the founder of Consensus and co-founder of Ethereum and joins us now. Joe, fantastic to have you on the show. Huge congratulations on this deal. I know it's been rumored for a while. Just explain what this means and what additional powers this will give you to make real world improvements. Uh, hi, Julia. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Uh, as you indicated, uh, Consensus uh, is announcing today that we are acquiring JP Morgan's Forum Enterprise Ethereum blockchain platform. Um, we additionally uh, will um, see an investment a strategic investment from JP Morgan uh, and have a seat on the board uh, dedicated to JP Morgan. We'll be working together with JP Morgan to merge the technical roadmaps of our own Hyperledger Basu client, which is a, an Ethereum mainnet compatible client uh, with the Quorum technical roadmap. Uh, and under a commercial agreement, we will be supporting JP Morgan's interbank information network the IIM and JPM coin network. Um, so we will be bringing a much more comprehensive enterprise Ethereum solution to not just JP Morgan and the hundreds of financial institutions on their networks, but the additional hundreds of institutions around the world that make use of enterprise Ethereum and that are increasingly um, starting to make use of public mainnet Ethereum. Ooh, so there's two things there for me. Obviously, as you've hinted, the network of payment technology that JP Morgan had already created that you're, I assume, going to help develop. But I think there will be people watching this going, hang on a second. Is this a traditional bank like JP Morgan perhaps stepping away from crypto, stepping away from blockchain technology and handing it over to, to one of the experts? Is that this? or are they as dedicated as ever? Well, uh, it's not my role to speak um, directly for JP Morgan, but I can confirm that uh, this step indicates that JP Morgan is doubling down on the Ethereum <laughs> technology. Okay. They, they are uh, their uh, blockchain and, and Ethereum focused team, but they're growing it in the direction of building applications on the platform. Uh, JP Morgan is a world-class financial institution with a world-class blockchain practice, but Consensus is a world-class blockchain software product company and Ethereum infrastructure company. And uh, I believe JP Morgan felt that uh, trusting the um, furthering of the protocol and support of the protocol of this open source protocol uh, to Consensus made the most sense. Um, and enabled them to, uh, in collaboration with us, focus on uh, the higher value aspects of uh, sort of moving up the stack to the application layer. Which says something 
in terms of the vote of confidence, I guess, for Ethereum as one subset of, um, of this technology at this moment. I do want to hone in, though, on the, the payments technology that you mentioned. Um, more than 400 plus institutional clients all over the world were transacting on that platform. We've talked about something called SWIFT on this show before, which currently is the, the standard for payments being transferred all over the world. And it's slow and it's clunky and errors get made. Do you see potentially what's here and what you can build on as being a replacement for SWIFT? Because there are other challenges out there that are perhaps looking to do the same. Yeah, so I think that's a reasonable way to frame this. Um, Payment technology evolved organically. Uh, First, there were transaction systems and then things got complicated and then messaging systems uh, got built as an overlay over the transaction systems and um they're often out of sync and require uh reconciliation across different kinds of databases uh, paraphrasing marshall McLuhan, the transaction uh is now uh the message um and so the transaction and the message are married on blockchain technology and blockchain technology representing a new trust foundation is going to whether it's central bank digital currencies or commercial bank digital currencies or, or pure cryptocurrencies, they will facilitate much more fluid real-time transactions and interactions across uh, trustworthy collaboration networks. So it's uh, we'll it, see. It's revolution. Yeah. Joe, very quickly, because I have about a minute, I want to ask you about the, the rise that we've seen in digital assets or cryptocurrencies this year, Ethereum, to Bitcoin, there's been a lot of enthusiasm. I can name them all, I won't. Is this time different? Is this time different from when we saw the rise and fall, if I go back to 2018, for example, simply because regulators are talking about it more, more people are buying. Is this time different in your mind? Well, this time represents uh, a quantum leap in maturity uh, for the systems that are being built and utilized. Um, The ICO boom had some problems, but it also birthed some really great projects. Uh, Many of the tokens associated with those projects um, are still in use. Uh, The projects are maturing. Uh, They constitute uh, um, what we call decentralized finance. And bottom line, what's happening is that uh, there are new cohorts of users and developers that are coming online that are seeing real value uh, in the protocol uh, in the application built on the protocol, and they're uh, making use of the token in real-time transactions. They're staking the token in different networks, uh, and um, thoughtful uh, observers are understanding uh, that this is the early days of the decentralizing of the internet and the World Wide Web, and they are speculating uh, that Ethereum is going to be a big part of that. Yeah. Decentralizing of finance. We will get you back to talk about this because I know this is super exciting too. My favorite there, a quantum leap in maturity. Joseph Lubin, great to have you with us and congratulations once again on the deal. The co-founder of Ethereum and the founder of Consensus. Great to have you with us. All right, still to come. Epic fails to get a bite out of Apple. Well, still nip as Fortnite bans remains in force for now. Details next.
Welcome back to First Move. Apple's 30% cut remains in force. The company winning a preliminary court battle with Epic Games over the hugely popular game Fortnite. Epic sued Apple after it removed Fortnite from its App Store when Epic introduced its own in-game payment system, cutting out Apple. But there was also some consolidation for Epic in the judge's initial ruling as well. Apple Stewart, Anna Stewart joins us now to break it down. Apple Stewart, sorry. <laughs> Quick, take it away from me. It works, What Julia. was the consolation prize? <laughs> Well, the judge said that it wasn't a slam dunk for either either side, but perhaps a victory actually for both in many ways. Apple was not forced to put uh, Epic's game Fortnite back onto the App Store. That wasn't really a surprise, but I have to say the court's words for Epic were fairly stern, saying that in order for Epic to bring about this big antitrust case against Apple and its control over the App Store, it didn't need to breach its contract using Fortnite, changing its payment process, trying to dodge that 30% fee. So the court for that said, well, Epic's current predicament regarding Fortnite not being on the App Store appears of its own making. However, there was a small victory for Epic as well. The judge said that Apple shouldn't follow through on its threat to remove Epic's developer status, at least temporarily. She said that was an overreach and retaliation. Epic software platform, Unreal Engine, isn't just used by Epic to create games. It's also used by third-party developers. It would have damaged them as well. So for that, the court said, well, Epic Games and Apple are at liberty to litigate against each other, but their dispute should not create havoc for bystanders. Julia? No collateral damage. Next date? September 28th, I believe. September 28th. So that's when the preliminary hearing kicks off. Yes, it was just immediate restraining orders. So a bit more time to go before then. Anna Stewart, the apple of first moves eye. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) All right, that's it for the show. You've been watching First Move. I'm Julia Chesley. Stay safe and we'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.